Hi, I'm Addis Fouché Tanner. I'm the founder of Bitter Blush, which is an online platform that aims to shed light on issues that tend to make people feel ashamed or othered. And you're listening to the Mountain Movers podcast. This is the Mountain Movers podcast, a platform for you. The ones with a voice to be heard, but no microphone to speak it. This is your time. Your chance to become more than they believe you are. More than you believe you are. So let's do this. Together. Hey guys, welcome to the show. I'm sitting here with Addis. She is co-founder of bitter blush and she's going to talk to us a lot about what that is what it entails and a little bit about the inspiration behind it Addis, how are you doing i'm doing well thank you yeah doing really well over here in new york that's amazing i mean on my side you know i'm in toronto toronto's super busy um i come from ottawa so it's a little more low-key there but toronto's always very fast-paced productive high energy and i bet you get that same energy over in brooklyn Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I was born and raised in Brooklyn, um, went to boarding school for high school, which was definitely a much slower pace in terms of environment. Um, And then after boarding school, I went to Middlebury College, which is actually where I founded Bitter Blush. So, yeah. So can you talk to me and the audience a bit about what went into discovering Bitter Blush? Yeah, so basically, um, Bitter Blush, the the name itself came from my personal Instagram handle. It was inspired a little bit by by that. Um, My personal Instagram handle is 2plush. And so um, I uh, kind of created 2plush just because there's this other girl whose Instagram handle is 2poor. And I was like, oh, I could come up with something better than that. And so I came up with 2plush. But um, originally, Bitter Blush was founded by four women, um, me, Amelia, Isabel, and Melissa. Um, The three of them no longer work on the project just because of things that have come up in their life. But um, Melissa was like, you know, I really like how your name on Instagram sounds. Like it just has like this like really kind of catchy um, kind of twang to it. Like, can we come up with something kind of similar? And then Bitter Blush kind of came from that just because of like, you know, the idea of like things making you feel ashamed, making you blush. Um, and then I guess the word bitter just kind of came from there, um, because we wanted something with two B's. So, um, the way that bitter blush even kind of came about was Isabel approached me and was like, Hey, Addis, like, I know that you're a writer. Um, I, uh, need some help starting this project. Like, will you help me out? And she told me a little bit about what she was kind of hoping for and like looking for in the project. And it had always been something that, uh, the kind of project that I wanted to start myself, but I never really had like the, the energy to put into it, the resources. And then when I had the support of these three other women, I was like, okay, I think this is something that I'm ready to do. Um, so basically I was inspired to create bitter blush because of this idea of normalized shame that really irritates me. Um, growing up, I never felt like I could talk to my parents about stuff like sex, mental health, or identity. And that was really hard to feel like I couldn't turn to them for that kind of stuff. Um, so I felt ashamed to talk about that. 
And I feel like that's not okay. Um, and that's not the fault of my parents at all. Um, it's just kind of how I grew up. But um, I went to my friends for advice and opinions on topics like losing my virginity or anxiety or microaggressions because I never felt like I had that at home. Um, and also, too, I went to boarding school, so I kind of grew up with my friends in my home. Um, and I assume that, uh, you know, the idea of not being able to talk to your family about these kinds of issues might be the case for many other people. So instead of continuing to normalize this part of this kind of shame that I was feeling, I decided to create this open community for people to feel safe talking about these sorts of issues um, in order to inspire people to feel open talking about it with their own friends and family. Yeah, that's huge. And I mean, you started this space with three other individuals. And is this a collective mindset that you guys had all together? Or was this your side of things? No, this was definitely a collective mindset for sure. Um, I think all of us, so all of us had kind of came from different um, realms. So I'm a writer. Um, I have written mostly for this other blog called Killer and a Sweet Thing, which is run by my friend Eileen Kelly. Um, and they're kind of a platform and that whole thing is like the sex ed that you've never had, right? Um, so they talk a lot about like anal sex 101 and, you know, um, what is it like to have herpes and stuff like that. Um, and so I've written for them a few times. I'd written about the fetishization of black women in college hookup culture. I'd written about period shaming. I'd written about um, the Nexplanon birth control implant, which is the one that goes into your arm. And I'd written about uh, the term losing your virginity and why I think that's kind of a dumb term. Like, what are you losing and what are you gaining, you know? Um, so I, that was kind of where I came from. Um, Amelia had started this uh, organization called, um, oh, I can't even remember what it was called, but it was basically all about, like, what is it like to have good sex and what does good sex mean? And, you know, what is, cons oh, the consent project, that's what it was called. Um, and it was all just about like, what is good sex? How can young people figure out how to have good sex and what that means for them? Um, and we all just kind of like came from different backgrounds, but had a shared collective mindset that, you know, there are so many issues that people should not feel afraid to talk about because they're so normal. Um, but like, we don't consider them normal because there's so much stigma. Stigma is a really key word here because these are all really massive topics and I feel like they're not discussed, as you said, um, in the appropriate manner. So take me back now to earlier in your life, you know, high school, what were you like? Did you have these, I wanna say, passion for all these different topics or is this something that accumulated over time? This is definitely something that accumulated over time. So in high school, um, at my boarding school, I was definitely someone who was considered a leader, someone who knew who she was and someone who wasn't afraid to express that. Um, and the thing about my boarding school, so it was an all-girls boarding school called Westover in Middlebury, Connecticut. And the thing about Westover was that it was cool to be passionate about something, right? It was cool to, um, you know, really find what you love and go for it. Um, and if you didn't really find that, people were kind of just like, well, what are you here for? Um, so me, my passion, I didn't discover writing until college really, but, um, I was really good at running and I was really good at photography. And those are my two main things. Um, I actually ran college cross country and track for two years at Middlebury. Um, and, uh, yeah, so in high school, I definitely was just kind of like very headstrong, very, 
um, knew who I was and wasn't afraid to let people know who I was. And then I got to college and things were very different in college. I felt like because I was in an all-girls school, I wasn't afraid to be who I was. But like when I had all these guys around, I was like, oh my goodness, like so overwhelmed um, and kind of like retreated back into myself. And I, I don't think it was until my maybe my sophomore, junior year, where I was like, hey, wait a second, like, you know who you are, um, you know what you stand for, like, don't be afraid to make that known. No, and I think that's super important, especially if you run this page, Bitter Blush, I feel like you need to be okay with your identity to be able to talk to people about theirs. Oh, absolutely. And I think that this is something that I really am passionate about um people just kind of discovering themselves and really being okay with themselves because that's not an easy process it's also not a linear process um it's definitely you know there are a lot of bumps in the road and discovering who you are and i think you know in some senses of the word i'm still discovering who i am but um i think that you know as i approach age 25 i'm actually gonna be 25 on september 19th um so i you know, I'm really kind of coming into myself as, you know, a woman, a black woman, and really understanding who I am in order to support people in that way. And I think that's a big thing. And that's like you said, it's not a linear process. And I don't think anybody can attest to it being a linear process. I feel like for everyone, there will be bumps in the road, there will be curves, you might have to turn back, but it's a journey nonetheless. Absolutely. And so on this episode, um, we're going to tackle specifically mental health. And so I guess my first question to you is what are some common myths that circle mental health and mental illness that come up a lot for you nowadays? Ooh, wow. Um, I mean, there are so many. Mental health is so stigmatized. Um, I think three that I can think of off the top of my head are one, that mental illnesses aren't real illnesses, which is just not true. Um, you know, these are real health problems with effective treatments that should be treated as such. You know, when someone breaks their arm, we don't blame them or expect them to just get over it. So why is it any different for mental illnesses? Um, also, there's this idea that mental illnesses are an excuse for poor behavior, but you know, we need to remember that no one chooses to have a mental illness. And that's the, it's the illness, not the person behind the behavior that might seem strange or out of place. Um, lastly, I think people think that like bad parenting causes mental illness, which just like is not true at all. Um, no one factor can cause mental illness. You know, it's a complicated condition that arises from a combo of genetics and environment and biology and life experiences. So you can't really blame parents if, so, you know, their child has anxiety or depression or bipolar or, you know, schizophrenia or anything like that. It's, you know, it's no one's fault. And I think that's something important that a lot of people need to take in and really hone is that it's not their fault. It's that it's not on them to feel like what they're going through is something that should be weighing down on them. And I, and I think that's just something hard to wrap your head around. It feels like you're wearing this massive weighted jacket all the time. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, I've, you know, myself struggled with mental health issues. Um, and it's something that I'd like to write about a little bit more. Um, but I think, um, you know, I struggled personally with bipolar disorder. I was diagnosed after summer 2016. Um, I have bipolar type two, which is more depressive than manic. Um, so because of that, it's much more difficult to diagnose. Um, but the few times I have been manic were actually just awful. Um, people think that manic means happy, but that's not true. Um, the best way that I can think of describing it is that you just feel kind of on, right? You just feel like 
you're a light bulb that just has like continued, continued to burn and it's just burning out. Um, I wasn't sleeping, I wasn't eating, you know, spending reckless amounts of money, drinking a lot, among other things. But the worst part actually was the paranoia. Um, I felt like people were out to get me and I felt very scared for my life. But I was able to overcome these experiences through a few avenues, um, one of them being medication and finding the right one is not easy at all. Um, I actually, I think I went through maybe like five different medications before finding what actually works for me. Um, one of them uh, called Latuda was actually almost perfect and it made me feel so great, except at night I would get panic attacks for two hours. So it wasn't that great. <laughs> um, I think sticking to routines has really helped me a lot. Um, and that can be just as simple as being like, I'm going to wake up and make breakfast every morning. That's a routine. But something that really helps me is my skincare routine. Um, I have a very, very involved, like 12 step skincare routine. I am not the type of girl who can just like wash her face and go like, I need to have my serums and everything. And that just like really makes me feel whole. Um, and also too, like not isolating myself because I found that the isolation made things so much worse because I felt so alone and that loneliness was just absolutely horrible. So I guess in a nutshell, finding things to lean on, finding constants and building yourself a routine, that really helps. Absolutely, yes. And also kind of trusting that things are going to get better um, and understanding that, you know, like a lot of what I was experiencing was momentary because that's how episodes are, right? They don't last forever. But understanding that, you know, things are going to change and that I kind of just have to trust the process and trust my support system. Yeah, that's huge. So now talk to me about that burnout that you were talking about. What would, what did that feel like? It just felt like I kind of like I was running on fumes almost. Like it was it was just like I wasn't like I said I wasn't sleeping, I wasn't eating, I wasn't acting like myself and I was spreading myself so it's almost like when you spread yourself so thin that you just can't even handle what's going on. Like that's how it felt like but on a way larger scale. Wow. No, I can't even imagine. Uh, personally, yeah. I, I, I can't say that I've experienced mental health or mental illness to the way that, to the extreme that has been broadcasted um, on social media or in blog chat rooms or anything like that. But I can sympathize in a way that's like, you're not going through this alone, right? And I, I guess that's why you built this community, this bitter blush community, is to remind people that they aren't going through it alone. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've gotten DMs from people who are like, thank you so much for talking about, um, you know, aspirational sizing and like saving your clothes that used to fit you um, in hopes that like maybe one day you'll fit back into them when you lose the weight, like which is such a niche thing to experience. And I think it's definitely more like a femme thing to experience. But, um, you know, people have DM me about all kinds of things. Uh, one of our articles, um, our most popular piece actually, is called My Chlamydia Story. And it's about um, this girl um, who I know very well who got chlamydia and how she kind of went through that whole process. And that piece actually ranks pretty high in Google for some reason. Like, I don't understand why uh, so many people want to read it, but um, that's over all of our other pieces, but that's just how it is. Um, and people have messaged me and been like, thank you so much. Like, I felt so embarrassed to uh, have chlamydia. But I've realized that, like, it's just, it's a normal 
STI. And STI is actually a term that I've been trying to use more often than STD, just because, um, you know, these are infections. They're not diseases. Um, they happen and they're normal. And um, I think people should really, you know, destigmatize having STIs. Yeah, destigmatizing would probably be the best word to use because you're not erasing it for what it is. You are just removing the stigma around um, this notion that it's a bad thing. Right. And also, too, like, it's not people's fault. Like, no one chooses to have gonorrhea. No one chooses to have herpes. They just, it just happens. Um, and I think that that is something that everyone should really understand, like, just kind of like mental health. Like, no one chooses to have any sort of medical condition. Like, no one's just sitting around being like, hmm, I really want to suffer, you know? Like, that's not what happens. Um, so I think that that's just something that we all have to keep in mind. So talk to me about this community that you've built, Bitter Blush. What did it look like in the start and what does it look like now? So at first, we, so we started this at Middlebury. So a lot of our original fans and original followers were from Middlebury and still kind of are. Um, we had a launch party at Middlebury in April 2017. Um, and it was really fun. We had a bunch of like interactive uh, exhibits and we had food and music and it was really fun and people were just like reading a bunch of the pieces that we had published I think at the time we had maybe like six to ten um, and most of our community was from Vermont um, now we actually very recently have been gaining about 1500 followers a week which is kind of insane um, I'm really not sure where they're coming from but you know our community is growing so fast um, and I love it, actually, to the point where uh, we actually published um, this, we reposted this uh, graphic about, you know, respecting trans people and their space. And um, this girl actually messaged us and said, like, you know, I would appreciate it if you actually took my graphic down because I'm getting so much hate mail from, you know, transphobes from the Bitter Blush post that it's overwhelming me. And I was like, whoa, like one, that's horrible. I, that was absolutely not our intention. So we took it down just to protect our safety. But also too, like, I didn't realize that we had any kind of influence like that. And that really shocked me. Um, so I definitely think that our community has grown to have a diverse group of uh, people in there. I mean, we have people who are from all walks of life, all, you know, shades, all races, all faces. And I think that's so beautiful because that's exactly what I had aspired to from, you know, when we started this in 2017. So right from the get-go, obviously you're snowballing and it's becoming this idea that you never thought would actually become what it is today. Is it hard to keep it going? Is it hard to maintain what you guys have built? Um, no, actually, it's pretty easy because I have a team of maybe 30 or so people. Um, and like the team, we're constantly communicating, we're constantly talking to each other about how we can better the site. Um, so we have a social team that's um, five or six people. And the social team is constantly working to make the Instagram better. And most of our followers do come from Instagram, we do have a Twitter page, and we do have a Facebook page, but our Instagram is definitely the most poppin. Um, so I'm in constant contact with the social team, and I think they're wonderful. We also have an editing team, and so the editing team is, is exactly what it sounds like. So they get the pieces, and they edit them, and they work with the contributors and uh, create a polished, finished piece. Um, there's also an editorial management team, 
and the editorial management team decides what pieces go up when. And they also have been doing a lot of the SEO work. So a lot of the, um, so I, when I'm not working on Bitter Blush, work in advertising. And um, so I, at my advertising job, I learned a lot of SEO, which stands for search engine optimization, which is basically just making websites better and more findable. So that includes things like making sure that our URLs look super clean and making sure their images aren't too big and making sure that um, the site is easily navigatable and that um, it's aesthetically pleasing and uh, that we have you know, accurate content on the site and stuff like that. So they work a lot um, doing the SEO work and that stuff that I've trained them on. Um, and then we also have an interviews manager and um, a graphics designer and um, a brand partnerships manager. But, uh, you know, since COVID hit, it's been really difficult to have events and stuff like that. So that kind of has been on hold. Um, but, you know, I'm hoping that when things clear up, we can have more events because we had one right before, uh, things with COVID got super bad and it was amazing. So talk to me about COVID now. When you guys entered, I mean, when the world entered this pandemic, what did Bitter Blush look like and how did the pandemic affect it, whether it was negative or whether it was positive? I think it actually kind of affected us in two ways because we were growing pretty steadily um, when we had the event. So we had this event um, called Flaws of Attraction um, and that was run with another organization called Boss Women Collective that's run by this amazing woman named Rihanna Singh, who I interned with at Wyden and Kennedy a, a few years ago. Uh, we hosted it at the General Assembly in New York City, and we talked about the truths behind misconstrued beauty standards in the digital age. So it was a panel discussion with three different panelists um, and me as the mediator that explored how some online products and conversations can do more harm than good to our minds. Um, so we talked a lot about like intentionality, self-esteem, what it means to be attractive, self-comparison, and self-care. Um, so those that was an amazing event. We had actually had a great turnout, double the amount of people that the General Assembly expected to come showed up. So it was a packed house. And I want to do more events like that. Um, we're planning on doing a zine at some point. I think that would be really wonderful. Um, We've actually had two plans to do two different zines. Both fell through with um, other organizations. Um, but I think, you know, as we grow our community, we can definitely just do one ourselves. And um, I ideally would want the zine to be online, free, accessible for everyone, because I think that's kind of just like Bitter Blush's um, whole thing. It's just that we have all this information, all this big community that we love to share, and it's open to anyone free of cost. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, that sounds amazing. I would totally check out that zine. Jeez. Yeah, I'm excited. We um, had a, an idea to do a zine about mental health, actually. So we were taking submissions and things were going really well. Um, but unfortunately, that project fell through. But it's definitely something that I think we could easily pick back up in the future as we continue to grow our community. Oh, but um, COVID, I think. Um, so it kind of negatively affected us because we weren't able to have events and do a lot of the things that we'd planned on doing. We had a, uh, like, for example, we had a party in Chicago um, at the beginning of this year um, because our brand partnerships manager is based in Chicago. So he was able to secure us a space at Smart Bar there, which is like really, really like, it's a, it's a popping spot. Like Smart Bar is lit. Um, <laughs> and uh, so that was really fun. And I flew out to Chicago and was there. And so many people kept coming up to me and being like, thank you so much for creating this space. And that was just such a wonderful feeling to know that like my efforts are 
being seen and being appreciated. And even if they weren't, like, so what? Like, I would still be doing the work that I love to do. Um, I think in terms of benefiting us, COVID actually kind of helped because everyone's kind of online right now doing everything on their phones and their computers and their iPads. So as, you know, more information is being circulated online, we're kind of seeing that and being like, okay, how can we share this with our community? And so through COVID, we've actually been able to grow our community a lot more. I feel like technology aside, yes, we were on our phones and yes, um, everything that we were consuming was basically through social media. Um, I feel like people went through a lot of different types of phases in COVID. I mean, going through any kind of pandemic is not easy. Being alone or trapped or feeling isolated is just that added stress. So I feel like you as a community and you as a platform that is there for other people is exactly what people needed during this pandemic. Oh, absolutely. And I think... You know, we've actually done a really good job of circulating information about like the Black Lives Matter movement and stuff like that. Um, we had one graphic about Elijah McClain that kind of went semi-viral for us. I mean, it got like 50,000 likes on Instagram, which was like really big for us. And um, a bunch of different uh, celebrities shared the graphic. It was one of the ones that we had made ourselves and um, we were really proud of that. Um, so, you know, for us, I think, um, as people start to use their phones a lot more during this time, like it's kind of benefiting us just because we're able to, uh, you know, use what we know and how we know to share information to benefit the community. So moving forward, what do you see for this environment that you've built? Ooh, that's a really good question. Um, I would love to have more guests on our Instagram live. Um, I think inviting inspirational people into our community can only strengthen it. Um, we've had a few, uh, one guest on our Instagram live, which was my friend Jasmine, who's very involved in like the New York city activist community. And, um, we had her on our Instagram live. That was really wonderful, but I would love to do more stuff like that. Um, I would also love to do merchandise. Um, I think that, uh, you know, killing a sweet thing, the organization that is run by my friend Eileen, uh, did a really great job with their merchandise. Um, they did condoms, they did underwear, and that's super cool to me. I think that, um, that's very true to their brand. Um, one thing that I would love to do actually is socks or something like that, just because I feel like that's something that anyone can feel comfortable purchasing and putting on their body. Yeah. Um, and then also too, um, like I said before, I'd love to do more live events. Um, I think, you know, it's really great that we have this online community, but also I would love to meet some of these people in real life. Um, I would love to see who's actually in our community and cause it's really difficult when you have like, you know, all these, you know, followers and like, I can only see so much online. Um, I would love to actually meet these people and see what they're like. So, yeah. How about switching things up? Bitter blush aside, what aspirations do you as an individual have moving forward? Ooh, me as an individual. Um, well, uh, as I near age 25, I'm kind of like, okay, what is going on with my life right now? Like, what am I doing? Um, so I work in advertising. I work in paid social, um, which means that I am, you know, the ads are made. I get them. I put them up into platforms like LinkedIn, Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, what have you. And then I analyze how they're doing. Um, so I would definitely like to uh, in my professional life, have more of a planning role in terms of the media that we run. 
Um, I think I've had more of an executional role, and I think that that's great, but I would love to influence what um, ads are actually being created and why. Um, in terms of my personal life, I definitely would like to be close with my family. Um, you know, I actually was up in Connecticut the other day with my cousins, um, helping my grandma out with something. And that was a really great experience just because I hadn't seen so many of them in so long. And um, I miss them, you know, even if I didn't really realize that I missed them, like being around them made me miss them. Um, I'm really close with my, both my parents, but I think my extended family are people that I definitely want to be around a lot more. And I think for myself, I kind of want to um, just really kind of love myself a little bit more and give myself a little bit more um, self-care. You know, I think that I have the right to happiness. Um, I have the right to self-confidence and I have the right to self-awareness and positive relationships and lack of chaos and making my own choices. So um, I think that I need to kind of really reinforce that in my own like mind and really tell myself that I'm worth all of these things because I'm a damn good person and I deserve it. And for other people listening who maybe are going through that same feeling, I mean, we're in our 20s, it's going to pop up at some point. What are active steps that people can take to embodying that, embodying that more confident self? I think, like I said before, just understanding that it's not a linear process and it's also more about progress than it is perfection, right? Like, you know, it's fine if you're taking two steps forward and one step back. Like, you're going to get there eventually. Also understanding that your goals may change over time, and that's totally okay. Um, I was actually studying for the GRE to go to business school um, a couple months ago, and I realized that if I took the test now, I would have to take it at home, which is not a great environment for, like, standardized test taking. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to shift this goal and take it at a later time, and that's okay. Um I also think understanding that um, it's okay to have smaller goals to get to your bigger goal is also another really important thing because a lot of times these goals can seem so unattainable and so large that it seems really difficult to get there. But I think, um, you know, maybe having some smaller steps in order to get to your big ones is a way that people can uh, kind of really get there for themselves. I think that's so important. I mean, if we're going to embody this more confident, um, strong-minded self, what steps, the steps that you take to get there are the most important part because that's where you learn the most, hands down. Right, exactly. So I guess if we're going to talk about mental health a little bit more, uh, if you feel comfortable sharing some more of your personal struggles, I feel like mm -hmm. it would give the audience just that extra something to grab onto, something to relate to. Totally. So um, summer 2016, I was uh, manic that pretty much that whole summer. And my psychiatrist actually told me that it's more common that people are manic in the warmer weather than it is for them to be manic in the colder weather. So usually it's like manic summer, uh, depressive winter. Um, I don't really remember why that's the case, but that apparently is true. Um, and I was... Uh, on the cross-country team at the time, and um, I remember going out for pre-pre-season, which is, we call this pre-pre, so we would all pull our money together, rent a house in Vermont, um, and get to know the new people, the new people would get to know us, um, and it was really, really wonderful, but 
in theory, but I remember being there and feeling so scared and so like paranoid and feeling like people were out to get me. I kept making up excuses to be alone. Um, and I would just sit in my room in the house and just be like terrified. I was in tears because I was just so scared that and I didn't even really know like what out to get me meant, but that's just kind of how I felt. Um, and there was this party that happened um, the night before school started. Um, all the fall sports teams would have their own respective parties. And my team, um, the girls cross country team was having one. And we were all standing in a circle, passing around a bottle of champagne and talking about our goals for the season and how we felt about each other and everything. I remember standing there and being like, I cannot do this. I literally cannot be there. And it's going to sound quite dark, but I left and tried to end my life. And one of my teammates was like, something is wrong. Like something like Addis isn't here. Like, where is she? And she went to go find me and found me and took me to the hospital. And honestly, I didn't speak to her for a long time because I was just so angry with her. I was like, oh, like another thing that I failed at, right? Like here I am, you know, just trying to, you know, get by and like, here's another thing that I failed at. Um, and uh, after a while I realized that like, you know, this woman saved my life and I have so much to live for and I'm here for a reason. And I think every day that I'm here, um, so that was definitely, and I've, you know, spoken about this a few times with other people and I didn't really realize how many people had suicide attempts. Um, I didn't really realize that it was so much more common than I thought. And that's something that I'm trying to destigmatize as well. Maybe it's something that I should write about, but, um, you know, I definitely think that, uh, that is one really big struggle that I had to get through um, in order to kind of come to be who I am today. I hear you, and I'm very thankful that you are still here, honestly. Um, Thank you. What are some active ways that people going through the same thing can overcome that? How did you overcome that? Um, it, was, it was a long, hard process, honestly, and it's something that I'm still kind of struggling with today. Um, I would definitely say, you know, if you're willing and able to get on medication, um, if you can afford it, if, you, if that's something that you're interested in, you know, I think that it can do wonders. I have, you know, I can think of three friends off the top of my head who this summer actually went on Lexapro and it has changed their entire outlook and their entire lives. Um, I can also say that trying to develop um, a support system that you trust is really important because um, it's one thing to have a support system that like you know loves you and you know cares about you, but like to have a support system that you know you can talk to at any point in time is a completely different thing. So um, those are two things that I think uh, can really, really help someone who's going through a similar issue. Yeah, I mean, that's all anybody can hope for, right? To be heard, to mm -hmm. feel like you're not there alone, to feel like there's somebody there for you. Right, exactly, exactly. Um, and I feel so lucky to be able to have that. Um, I was actually talking to someone else about mentorship and how um, I feel like my friends are my mentors almost because I learn so much from them all the time. Um, I consider my friend Brandy a mentor. I consider my friend Amy a mentor, my friend Nitya, my friend Darius, my friend Candice. You know, they're all my mentors because um, they share so much with me that I feel so lucky to have. And um, 
I consider them part of my support system. And um, because of that, I'm here standing today. So I feel very appreciative of them um, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Is that something that you see in the future for Bitter Blush? Sort of like a mentorship program? I think that would be really interesting to do. Um, I'm just not sure how to implement that just because, um, you know, I think our whole thing is having an open community for people to feel like they can talk about what they want to talk about. And I'm not sure that mentorship necessarily goes with that. Although I think personally, like, um, so coming out of the flaws of attraction event, all three panelists were people who felt that, uh, their voices were heard and that people really looked up to them. And that's kind of like, you know, the basis of mentorship, right. It's just like feeling like, you know, you're giving to someone and that what you're giving is being received in a positive light. So I definitely feel that um, it is something that I would consider, although I would have to figure out how to exactly work it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you just got to find a way to, if it's going to be implemented, it obviously has to align with what you guys are already doing. Mm -hmm. yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, just through my, my podcast personally, um, I used to I mean, I've been doing it for, uh, I guess, eight months now, this, this personal, very free, very open style conversational podcast. And I used to think of it as like giving a voice to the voiceless, but it wasn't until I had a conversation with uh, Jamal Jackson. Uh, he was on one of these episodes and he actually um, sort of spun that in a different direction it's not giving a voice to the voiceless that's you're not here to um i guess put a spotlight on people that have no voice what you're doing and what i'm doing is providing a microphone to people who don't know who don't who don't normally have the opportunity to speak up so i'm not giving a voice to the voiceless i am amplifying the voices of people who need to speak up who need to be heard I feel like amplifying the voices is exactly what Bitter Blush represents. You are sharing stories, you are sharing conversations, you are sharing life experiences with people who feel like they aren't being heard. Right, exactly. And I mean, some of our the issues that we talk about are like more serious. You know, like I, there was one piece about uh, this, uh, a friend of mine whose mother um, Try, uh, tried to commit suicide and that was a more serious piece there was another one that was just about like dating in New York City and how that's like really difficult right now um so I think like the, there's such a wide range of topics that we talk about and that um like you said you know we're amplifying these voices whether you know these are serious topics or not serious topics but it doesn't matter right because everyone kind of deserves to be treated like their voice matters because it does and that's why I thank you so much for being on this episode, because uh, not only do you amplify the voices of people around you and in that community, um, just by being on this episode and speaking your mind and sharing your stories, you are amplifying your own voice. And I think that's so empowering. And I think that's you embodying that more confident self. Thank you. And, you know, to go back to what I said about, um, you know, everyone's voice mattering, I think um, someone said something very interesting on... Uh, social media that matter is the minimum, right? Like we talk about Black Lives Matter, but um, you know, Black lives are valuable. Black lives are necessary. Black lives are needed. Like Black lives are um, so, so, so important. And 
the term matter, like it's kind of a term that I think um, kind of cheapens what black lives mean to society and what they mean to the world. Um, but, you know, like I said, I feel like the people in our community, like they're, they're necessary, they matter, like they're, like they, uh, you know, it's so important to feel like these lives have value because they do. And I think that that is absolutely how we're making people feel um, by creating Bitter Blush and by continuing to run Bitter Blush. Well, I wish you the best of luck with everything you guys are doing with Bitter Blush. I'm definitely going to be watching. I'm definitely going to be cheering you guys on, you know, silently from Toronto, I guess. <laughs> but Oh, thank you. Of course. Um, I guess just to wrap things up a little bit, uh, uh, can we talk about resources, like some resources that you know and can provide to help better inform our listeners? Oh, yes. Well, um, so there are... Mm, Actually, there's a lot that I can say, but the two that I think are really valuable that I've been keeping an eye on, um, one, there's this uh, Instagram account called Decolonial Atlas, and it's an Instagram account that can help visualize a lot of the systemic and structural issues that our world has going on right now. So just like, you know, where the Black Lives Matter protests are happening and like what communities are benefiting from privatized water and stuff like that. Um, and then there's also this other account, um, if you're looking for more like sex related content called positive underscore results underscore us, um, for, um, education on STIs like herpes are a really great account that's working towards destigmatizing STIs and amplifying those voices that belong to people with these conditions. So I would definitely check those two out for sure. Amazing. And how can, uh, people listening and hearing about bitter blush for the first time, how can they, What's the best way to consume Bitter Blush for the first time? Should we check out your site? Should we check out the page? Should we just scroll through the Instagram? What is the, I guess, best way to attack it? I would say either to go to the site, which is bitterblush.com, all one word, one uh, no underscore anything, um, no dots, just bitterblush.com. Um, and then I would also say scroll through the Instagram um, because we will, as we have new articles, we'll post on our Instagram story. And now that we have over 10K followers, we have the swipe up function, which is amazing. So um, you can just uh, swipe up, read our pieces and um, engage with our content. So that's really it. Cool. Well, I'm excited for everybody to get a piece of it. I know that uh, I've already indulged on a lot of it and I'm excited for more. <laughs> oh, thank you. So now to end off the podcast, I always do what's called the Mountain Minute. So it's a rapid fire round of pretty simple questions, but it's just a chance for the listener to get to know uh, the guest on a more simple, more personal level. Are you ready for this? I think so. This, 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 this is the Mountain, mountain, mountain minute. minute. All right. Three, two, one. Favorite movie? Sound of music. Favorite food? Tacos. Go to breakfast. Eggs and banana bread. Favorite song. Favorite song, probably something by Future. I'm definitely in his top 2% of listeners, so it'd probably be like Stick Talk by Future. Where'd you first hear this song? Um, I heard it at a party and I shazammed it and I was instantly hooked. <laughs> what is your guilty pleasure song? Ooh, guilty Pleasure song is probably uh, Forget-Me-Nots by Patrice Russian. It's an oldie. Favorite day of the week? Um, Saturday, because that's my favorite time to go to SoulCycle. Least favorite day of the week? 
definitely Tuesday. It just has nothing going on. <laughs> Favorite color? Red. What time do you usually go to bed? Early. I'm a grandma. <laughs> what time do you usually wake up? Uh, early because I like to run in the morning. If you could make any animal your pet, what animal would you choose? Oh, I have been dreaming about having an English bulldog for so long. Oh, the best. If you could change the stigma around one thing in the world, what would it be? Herpes. If you could trade lives with anyone for a day, who would it be? Uh, Michelle Obama if or you, Megan The Stallion. Mm, if you could have any superpower, what would you choose? Mind reading. Sweet or salty? Salty. Coffee or tea? Tea. Rain or shine? Rain. Day or night? Day. Favorite number? 11. Where do you want to travel? Um, I would love to travel anywhere in Africa. Fill in the blank. This podcast is? Amazing. <laughs> Thank you so, 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 so much. I really appreciated you sharing your stories, sharing your platform, and speaking up. Of course, of course. I had so much fun recording with you. Um, and again, guys, you know, you can follow us at bitter.blush at Instagram or go to the website and engage with us. I hope to really see you in our community. Absolutely. Check them out. Have a good day. Thank you. Thanks, guys, for tuning into another episode of the Mountain Movers podcast. Now, if you are an iTunes listener and you enjoyed what you heard, please feel free to, you know, leave a rating, leave a review. Let me know what you think. Ratings help this podcast grow, which essentially will grow the Mountain Movers community. And that's all I can hope for. Building this community where it's okay to be heard. It's okay to open up and let people know how you are, how you're feeling, what you're up to. Until next time, keep climbing. Love always, Jake.